Guys, grab your Bibles and open them with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let's continue that little series there. I think it's a seven-part series. We'll see. But one of the things that I want to do before each of these sermons in, um, in this regard is that I want to remind you of a couple of things. <clears throat> First of all, gang, this is a series of sermons, a series of sermons that Moses preaches towards the end of his ministry as he sees the end coming he preaches these sermons to this flock of people that he led out of Egypt, people that he considers to be redeemed people. Now, I said that last week, but in our text this morning, you'll notice in verse 20, just real quickly, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Remember last week, I mentioned several times the possessive pronouns. Well, that's a clear statement there in verse 20, that as he looks at his audience, he sees them as a people who belong to God. That's very important to keep in mind as we study these three chapters, and it's going to become real important before we're done. So I'm going to remind you each week, okay? Series of sermons to a bunch of people that Moses loved that he considered to be the family of God. Now... Let me read my text beginning at verse 15 in chapter 4. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace of uh, out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over to the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will, not long, you will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve God, gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your souls, when you are in, the tribu- when you are in tribulation... And all these things come upon you in the latter days. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. 
He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this word endures forever. I want to start by asking you a, a, few, a series of questions. Uh, you don't need to answer out loud. Who knows, you might wake up the person next to you. Um, so don't, don't yell out anything, but let me just ask you some questions. Number one, what is the most often mentioned sin in the Bible? Idolatry, very good. That's, uh, that's a good start. Here's the second question. The first commandment and the second commandment of the Ten Commandments are designed to deal with what sin? Idolatry again, right. Now this third question is harder. Um, I wonder if any of you, you can't cheat, don't look. Uh, I wonder if any of you know the last verse in the book of 1 John. You remember 1 John, you know, it's back in the, back in the New Testament. John, you remember who John was? John was the man who was considered the apostle of love. Remember that? And um, uh, he was writing to whom? Well, the last verse starts like this. Little children. So he is addressing an audience that he thinks has the same father that he does. And he says to that audience, four words. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. He closes off his book by an admonition and an exhortation to God's people, this apostle of love, and he tells them, keep yourselves from idols. And then, of course, we come to our text this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And what is the sin primarily at, uh, in the, as the focus in, the, in that passage? Well, it's idolatry again. Why is that, ladies and gentlemen? Why is it that the most numerous and the most often mentioned sin in the Bible is idolatry, that 20% of the Ten Commandments have to do with idolatry, that John closes that wonderful book of 1 John with the instructions or exhortation, keep yourselves from idols, would you please? And then you've got this passage here among numerous others. Why is that? Is that because idolatry is such an awful sin? Well, it is, but there are other factors. And one such factor, ladies and gentlemen, it's mentioned so frequently because we are so prone to commit it. Commit what? Idolatry. And when I say we, I'm speaking of Christians. like John was and like Moses is. Yes, little children, all this emphasis on the particular sin of idolatry is telling us something about ourselves. Gang, <clears throat> this text along with numerous others is giving us counsel it's trying to instruct us about a human tendency. 
a propensity, a foible, a weakness in the human heart that is true of us. Christians, And what is that weakness? Well, let me answer it like this. We are prone to try and find some other way to meet our needs on our own terms, apart from God, using methods of our own devising. We have a tendency, Christians, to try and find some other way to meet our needs on our own terms, apart from God, using methods of our own devising. Well, like what, Dr. Young? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have so much to choose from. Um, John Calvin once said that The human heart is a veritable manufacturing plant of substitute deities. But let me mention one that might not necessarily be on the tip of our tongues. How about this one? And by the way, this may be a tad autobiographical. How about this one? Fame. Well, there you go, Dr. Young. <laughs> yeah, you know what you're talking about. I mean, you have kicked your coverage right then because, you know, I don't deal with that kind of, I'm not, not me, I'm not, I'm not pursuing fame. Okay, let, let, me, let me give you some synonyms that might be more illustrative. How about admired or valued? Or noticed. I want to be noticed. I want to be, I want to be admired. You know, guys, really, the reason that I chose this one as an example is because Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus mentions it too. Remember what he said? He said to people who were Part of the family, he said to them, beware of practicing your righteousness to be seen of men. Um, Beware of doing what you do religiously so that you can be applauded by men. Beware of all of your religious goings on really designed so that you can be praised by men. Beware of doing perhaps right things for the wrong reasons in your pursuit of admiration. Well, well, how does that happen? Well, let me, let me start with me. Maybe take the heat off you. Let's, let's talk about this guy. Let's build a notable church. 
Why? To be seen of men? To be praised by them? Getting my needs met by having other people applaud me? Boy, that sure feels good, doesn't it? To have men notice you and praise you? Or how about this? I want perfect kids, or at least as close to perfect as I can get them. Why? So that they will love and serve the beautiful Savior? Or is it because I want people to praise me as super mom or turbo mom? I, I, I want to hear of how much people esteem me, so I helicopter all over my kids so that they so that my reputation might not be tarnished by them. Or how about this? I want plenty of stuff. I want houses and cars and gadgets and pools and whatever else comes with it. Why? So that people can see what a success I am? And that people will know that nobody does their job better than I do my job? So, uh, I work hard. I mean, some people call me a workaholic. Why? So that people will esteem me, praise me, admire me, all in the pursuit of my Homemade God, fame. Folks, um, in all three of those examples, the lust is fame or some version thereof or simply call it I'm, I'm longing for public approval or fan applause. All I'm doing is illustrating the ways that we go about doing that. And there are dozens of ways that I could mention. All having the same hope. And that hope being that I can perform in such a way that my needs get met by other people without ever having to ask God to meet them. I can meet them myself on my own terms with methods of my own devising. And what they really are, folks, is just small little self-salvation projects. How to save myself from being a nobody. You see, um, John saw that as the potential among his people that he pastored. And so he closes his book by saying, little children, Keep yourselves from idols. Moses saw it. He's speaking to these people and saying, you got to avoid that. But I guess more importantly, Jesus saw it in us. He told worshiping people like us, beware of practicing your righteousness to be seen of men. 
And here's the scary thought. One of the psalmists says it in, in Psalm 135. Um, the paragraph um, opens, I mean, it, it, the whole paragraph is about idolatry. It opens like this. Um, the idols of the nations are silver and gold. And the paragraph closes. Those who make them become like them. Oh my goodness, what does that mean? You know, I'm not really sure. But it doesn't sound pretty. Gang, go back to the text with me, if you will. And let me, let me point you to something as to how this text opens. Um, we're in verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Now watch. Since you saw no form. Do you know what he's saying here, guys? He's saying you didn't see anything. So for you to try to make something that looks like God and to say to others that this represents God is an act that is merely, it is really fueled by your desire, and it's not very pretty, by your desire to have a say in what God is. He's like this. No, he isn't. You didn't see anything. So don't try to make me look like something that you think I should be. Oh, I want a hand in creating a God who corresponds to the way that I think he should be. I want to create a God that likes me. I want to create a God that doesn't bug me. I want to worship a God that I made. Not the God that made me. And so I try to get my needs met bypassing God with methods of my own devising. Gang, I think it was Dostoevsky who said, if we don't worship this God, we don't worship nothing. We worship something. And invariably, we worship a God that we made a lesser God, one that doesn't see nor hear nor walk. And though I might be comfortable with that kind of God, there's a big problem. That God doesn't exist. And by no means can that God ever meet my needs. Guys, <clears throat> the relationship that God has established with us in Christ is a relationship that is designed to be exclusive. It permits of no rivals, and I am not allowed to give part of my heart away to a God that I myself have created, the one that I might have carved out or the one that I carry around in my heart. And when I do, 
I evoke, and did you notice this, ladies and gentlemen? What in the world is this comment doing in there about jealousy? Do you see what is at stake? If you do that, you arouse a God of jealous love. When I make my own gods to meet my own needs, devising my own methods, I evoke the jealousy of God. Gang, can't you just see Moses in front of his audience pleading with them? Don't do that. You didn't see anything. How stupid it is to carve out a God out of wood or stone that doesn't have hands and he doesn't see and he doesn't smell. Can't you just see John, that old man, about to be exiled to the Isle of Patmos? And he says to the people, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And, and I want you to notice, I said, when we do it, not if. And I would say this to you, I think two of the Bible's most famous pastors agree with me, Moses and John. Guys, how often our affections that were supposed to be God's and God's alone get drained away and directed to something that we ourselves created. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to gather a lot of stuff and people will then admire me and I can feel good about myself. I'm going to get me a place at the lake I'm going to get that corner office. I'm going to have that shapely body at age 40 for my Facebook post. I'm going to send out that Christmas letter that tells people how perfect my life is. And then they're going to applaud me. And I'm going to feel that my needs get met. And... and Furthermore, ladies and gentlemen, I would suggest that this text, it seems to anticipate the inevitability of Christians doing something like that. Because did you notice when I read in verses 25 through 31, um, if you do this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you, and the Lord will scatter you, and you will be utterly destroyed, on and on and on. Can't you just see Moses thinking, well, once they get in that promised land, who knows? I wonder if they understand their own hearts. I wonder if they know that down there there's this tendency to want to have a say in what God is like. Instead of yielding to the God who is described. And when they do that,
What awaits them is utter destruction. And so John says to his people, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because every time you do something like that, there's going to be a severe response on the part of God. And I would call that a response, that severe response, a response of jealous love. God will not allow his people to give their hearts to something that will ultimately not satisfy them. He will not allow his people to waste their lives trying to fill up a vacuum on the inside when he knows that that vacuum is God-shaped. Guys, our idols, sooner rather than later, will disappoint us, they will disillusion us, and will ultimately crush us. And so a God who will not let me go sends something It varies from person to person and from idol to idol. But he sends something to convince me to let go of those idols and to lay hold, to grab hold to the God who can ultimately fill up my empty bucket. He sends something so that I will let go of my homemade remedies. And to grab hold of a God who has promised to meet all of my needs in Christ Jesus. Guys, so often in our pain, what God is doing is simply putting his finger on our idols. In your tribulation, the text says, you in pain? Now? God is putting his finger on one of your idols. Okay, so you want grace, do you? Okay, well, let me show it to you. It's here. It's in verse 29. Look at verse 29. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God. From there, from where? From that hellhole that we dug for ourselves, and it is from there... that he invites us back. Seek me and you'll find me. From that pit in which we find ourselves, like a church full of prodigals, he invites us back. How did I get here? Remember the text opens with, and I told you this last week, therefore watch yourselves very carefully. I'll tell you how we got there. We got there by degrees, by neglect. Neglecting your first love and giving away affections that were intended to be God's alone and giving them to some kind of homemade deity that we turned into our definitional center. We took that thing and we made it our identity. Moses saw it. John saw it. Jesus saw it. We even sing about it, ladies and gentlemen. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. You ever some of that? It's telling us something about ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. And yet this faithful God, this God of covenantal chesed love, will not sit idly by as we try to find ultimate satisfaction in something other than him. And so it is his jealous love that moves him into action, sending something to retrieve that wayward child that is off the rails and restoring him. The same child for whom he sent a savior, a savior that would pay the debt that I created with all of my violations of the first and second commandment. Ladies and gentlemen, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Forget the other nine. If we would keep just that one, He sends a savior for somebody who's violated that over and over again. The one that jilted him so that I could chase after my other loves and for us. He sends a savior so that we might taste again mercy. Did you see that in verse 31? He reminds us that he is a God of mercy. And so indeed, we are in a people who are debtors to mercy alone. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Our Father, would you use this text as well as so much in your word to remind us that your people are a prized possession, a people from whom you expect all of their devotions, all of their affections, all of their worship. And when we give it, when we put it elsewhere, you are aroused into action and we thank you for that too that you will not allow us to waste our lives chasing after that which will never satisfy us. So, Father, here we are to come to confess our sin again, and we pray that you will, as you have so many times before, take us back. Father, if you've led people here today who have not yet met our Savior, would you show them that what they're doing is moving from one homemade remedy to the next, none of which will work. Would you draw them to the place, O oh God, where they see that their empty bucket can only be filled one way, a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Do that for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name.
Amen. Guys, we'd love to pray with you if there's something that you'd like to share.